Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. And as you can see, I'm not alone. This is my daughter, Madison, and she has uh, made me a daddy. She's two and a half, almost three, uh, and she uh, is such a blessing to my life. I'm so grateful that God has placed her in my life. Um, And so if you're a dad out there and your kids are around, I would encourage you to bring them close, as comfortable as they are. Um, And I'd love to say a prayer over our dads and over our kids Uh, And so right now, I'd just love for us to pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for uh, just the gift of fatherhood and leadership that you give us. God, we thank you for our kids. And God, I pray that you would help us to lead our kids into your presence every single day. And God, just to stay committed and faithful to you through it all. And we pray all this in your son's name. Amen. And like I mentioned before... Being a dad is one of the greatest gifts uh, that I have ever received. But being a dad and being a mom too, it's it's hard. But for the sake of Father's Day, I want to focus on our dads because we're fixers and we like to fix things that are broken. I mean, the hard thing to see and into the future is that suffering is going to be something that our kids experience. For instance, Madison will eventually realize that my magical kisses no longer heal her boo-boos. There's cancer that does not discriminate against age. And so there's parents who are walking with their kids uh, through this horrible illness. There's a feeling of rejection that one day they will feel uh, potentially from their friends. One day our kids will experience their first breakup, and the heartbreak will be so heavy that we feel that there's nothing that we can do about it. One day our kids will experience the death of someone very close and near to them. There's a day where kids will possibly experience depression and anxiety. I mean, there's a kid, there's a day where our kids will realize that bad things actually do happen to good people. And so they'll ask the question, why suffering? And pain and suffering are an an inevitable part of life and as we live on this planet. And scripture tells us that God's creation, we are all groaning. And so you may be asking, what in the world is groaning? And groaning is this weird experience in the suffering of now and a future longing of a non-suffering later. Groaning uh, is when we find ourselves on our knees asking God, why? Why suffering? If you are a good God, then why do you allow suffering to happen on this planet that we live on? And groaning is simply just not understanding what is happening in the now. And writer John Stott explains it this way. He says, it is not only our fragile body which makes me groan, it is also our fallen nature which hinders us from behaving as we should and would altogether prevent us from it. Were it not for the indwelling spirit uh, that God has sent our way. 
In other words, groaning is a longing for a better day. And so anytime you hear that term groaning, you'll know exactly what we are talking about, just a longing for a better day. But that doesn't help the confusion that we still have in the now. And so what is the point to all of this suffering? Well, I'm excited as we get to continue today in our series, The Life of Paul. And we've already chatted about Paul before his conversion as the least likely candidate. And then last week, Tim gave us a little insight of a driven Paul who had to wait. What did waiting mean for Paul and what does it mean for us today? And so today, I believe that Paul is going to give us direction into what it looks like to suffer, what it looks like as a sufferer, as Paul was. But there is good news. We don't have to stay there. And that's what we are going to look at today. And so today we're going to camp out in 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and chapter 12. And Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth because there were false teachers that have infiltrated the church. Check out this statement as we get a little bit more context. Paul writes to guide the church in their sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ as we see him lay out in the very beginning of this book in verses 3 and 4. And so we're going to go ahead and start in chapter 11 uh, in verses the latter half of 23 all the way through 27. And it says this, Paul is talking here and he says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers." I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and I have been naked. I mean, bottom line there is that Paul experienced a lot of danger. And Paul is laying out here saying, listen, I have suffered and talk about depressing and uncomfortable. The suffering that Paul went through here makes me a little bit squeamish. And Paul is helping his audience understand that he has suffered. And so he is actually worth listening to when it comes to this topic of suffering. And I believe we can take heart in the fact that today we are learning from someone who is, I guess, licensed, if you will, in the area of suffering, who has unwavering perspective when it comes to this topic. Check out verse 28, chapter 11, and he says, Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. And here's what I want to highlight here, is when he says, besides everything else. 
And it's kind of like, whoa, 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 Paul, wait a minute. Like, you're not done suffering yet? I think that was enough. And we see the physical danger that Paul was in, but Paul is actually communicating the mental burden that he faced and the anxiety that he faced because he was worried about the church that he was writing to. And it was all, once again, as we saw just a moment ago, for the sincere devotion uh, for these believers to stay unwavering in their faith and to Jesus, all for the name of Jesus. And so you, we say all this, and we may ask the question, so what does this mean for us in 2020? Well, I want us to discover, uh, through Paul's instruction and some of his insight, what our role is in this idea of going from groaning to glory. And so we, we've defined that term groaning, uh, but what does it look like on our journey to experience full glory. And so we're going to skip forward into chapter 12, which is, leads us to our first truth. And it's this, is that truth number one is that listener watching right now, your suffering brings glory to God, not you. Your suffering brings glory to God, not you. And I want us to check out what Paul says in verse eight of chapter 12. He says this, he says three times, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. He pleaded with the Lord to take away the suffering that he has experienced. And God's answer, which we'll see probably wasn't what Paul wanted to hear or what you and I might not want to hear. And Paul's response to that, we will get to in just a moment. But now I think it's important to ask the question, does God take away Paul's suffering? And the short answer is this, no, he does not. And this sounds kind of cruel, doesn't it? Because I think you and I can relate. When we suffer, we ask God, I think a lot of us beg God to take away our suffering. It doesn't always make sense to us on this side of eternity why God doesn't seem to take away suffering. Sometimes he does, but sometimes he does not. But ultimately, God did not take away Paul's suffering because God ultimately still had a plan to execute through the life of Paul. And Paul's role was to surrender, which is easier said than done. But check out what well-known pastor and theologian, I'm just going to call him HT for the sake of pronunciation, says about the United States in our understanding of suffering. He says, they have an inadequate view of suffering. Wait a minute, HT. You've, you've crossed the line there. When I read that, I got a little bit uncomfortable, but I think he's onto something here. Why does he say this? Because as Christians, I think our understanding of suffering can very much be muddied by our addiction to comfort, the pursuit of the American dream. And here's what I mean by that. We will do whatever it takes to achieve our highest aspirations and goals. And here's what I want us to understand is that I'm not saying that, that, go that goals are a bad thing. Don't get me wrong here. I think goals and aspirations are not bad, but they can very easily take over prominence of God's calling in our lives. For examples... For example, excuse me, when we chase uh, the idea of a bigger house or a more beautiful car or the best looking clothes, we may be chasing the American dream rather than God's calling on our lives. For example, 
if we are ignoring God's call to share the good news with somebody because it's uncomfortable for us, uh, we may be chasing comfort rather than God's calling. For example, if we are consumed by our schedule so much that there is no room for the growth of our souls, we may be pursuing a temporary desire rather than the eternal desires that God has for us. For example... If our focus is on the upward trajectory of our success rather than the upward trajectory of becoming closer to Jesus, we are probably chasing the worship of ourselves rather than the worship of the God who is in control of it all. And what if I told you that our role, that God's role rather, is not to make us happy, but to make us holy? to form us more, to mold us more and more into the image of God's Son? What if I told you that we exist to serve God and only God and to fulfill His intentions and His purposes in our lives? We have a me mentality. Let me explain. I'll I'll give you some insight. I'll be a little bit vulnerable here. When I'm driving down the interstate, I like to chill in the fast lane. I think some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if anybody gets in front of me is going anywhere below 80 miles an hour, I want to honk the horn and scream, get out of the way, because I've got somewhere to go as if that person does not. Here's another one here. If I go to the grocery store, which has happened to me before, I'm standing in line with my groceries. I'm eager to check out, and someone cuts in front of me in the grocery line. And the first thing I want to do is ram that grocery cart right into the back of their heels. You know what I'm talking about. I may or may not have done that, but we'll leave that, forgive me, Jesus. We'll leave that for for Jesus uh, to, to process through. I'm just kidding. I haven't done that. But we exist to bring glory solely to the name of Jesus. And the beautiful thing is this, is that Jesus doesn't throw us to the wolves and say, figure all this out yourselves. Check out what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. And he says this, For God has called you to do good, even if it means suffering. Just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. And here's what I mean by, by Jesus doesn't just throw us to the wolves. Jesus has already led the way. Jesus has already lived a life of suffering that doesn't scream a me mentality. Jesus understands pain. I mean, he endured people who mocked him. He faced one of his best friends, some of his best friends who denied him. He experienced being whipped, spit upon, and crucified naked in front of his mother. He knows about suffering and ultimately carrying the weight of the sin that you and I commit daily that goes against his heart and his will for our lives. He understands you, and we can take comfort in the fact that we are not alone. This brings us to truth number two, is that your suffering must bow down at the feet of Jesus. Your suffering must bow down at the the feet of Jesus. I want us to look forward to a critical piece uh, to our groaning, to our suffering. Notice in chapter 12, verses the latter half of verse 9 and 10, it says this, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that, 
Christ's power may rest on me. And then uh, we are, well, here's the truth. We are only victim to our suffering without Jesus. But with Jesus, we are victorious. And then it goes on to say, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, difficulties. For when I am weak, that is when I am strong. And Paul here is pointing everything to Jesus. It's only for Jesus so that his name would be made famous. And then he goes on, if we back up into verse 7, he says, therefore, here's something I want us to note as well, in order to keep me from being conceited, in order from all the attention to be about me and all the attention to only be focused on the glory of Jesus Christ, I was given a thorn in my flesh. And those of us who are watching, uh, we may be asking, what in the world is a thorn in his flesh? Well, Paul isn't exactly clear about what the thorn in his flesh was. But what we do know is that Paul is saying that his suffering must always be obedient to God's purposes. Essentially, God uses our suffering for good. And what we do know is that Paul is very passionate and he is always pointing to Jesus. He isn't alone in his pain. He knows that Jesus is right beside him every step of the way. And God didn't necessarily give Paul a thorn in his flesh, if you will, to see if he was cut out for the job or not. Paul believes it was there to keep his focus on Jesus. He knows that that thorn is to be defeated because of what Jesus did on the cross and the power that rose Jesus from the grave. Paul is confident that because he is a follower of Jesus, the power that rose Jesus from the grave is the power that resides in him. And so that power helps him to overcome any suffering that he may experience. Here's a quote from an unknown author, and it says, You do not really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all that you have. So not only does our suffering bow down to Jesus' feet for his intended purposes, but suffering helps us to realize that Jesus is absolutely all that we have. Which brings us, in turn, to the feet of Jesus too. Our suffering along with ourselves. We find ourselves surrendering to Jesus. And ultimately, we surrender control to Jesus because we trust that he is working out everything for the good of those who love him. His purposes never, ever lead us astray. So my question to you is this, what thorn can you acknowledge that may be in your flesh this morning? Do you suffer from anxiety or depression? Do you suffer through infertility or recent miscarriages? My wife and I are processing through that right now. We, we suffered through two miscarriages in the matter of a month and a half. And so we're asking God, why? And that's okay. We're exploring what God is trying to do through our suffering? Do you suffer through the recent uh, experience of a job loss? Do you suffer from being ridiculed by your friends at school because of your focused faith? Are you suffering through divorce, relational tension, maybe the loss of a loved one, and it's a thorn in your flesh? It feels like it never goes away, the suffering of it all. But even further, do you believe that Jesus is all that you have? 
in the midst of it? Do you believe that Jesus, the same power that rose him from the dead, is the same power that will help you overcome the thorn in your flesh? And I would encourage us all to set aside a time to reflect this week, to say, what thorn do I have in my flesh? And Jesus, how can I keep my focus on you? How can I uh, keep from becoming conceited, as Paul said, to bring glory and, uh, and honor to you through everything that I am going through? We can recognize that the thorn maybe is placed there to keep us from becoming conceited in ourselves. Which brings us to our next truth. Truth number three. Your suffering, we can take hope and confidence in this, always will always lead to hope. Rejoice. Rejoice. Check out what Paul writes to the church in Rome in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time right now are not worth comparing with the glory that is to one day be revealed to us from groaning to glory. Paul is saying we don't have to stay in our growing, our groaning. One day, those of us who have decided to follow Jesus will experience the glory. And for those of you who are not sure where you are in following Jesus, that invitation is there for you too. There is something else that is coming uh, that is incomparable. And Paul is giving us this insight to the everyday sufferings that everyone will have to encounter uh, that as we live on this planet. We know that it is broken. Uh, we know that it needs to be redeemed. That's our groaning for a better day. And he is re reiterating that those who belong to Jesus Christ will share in the glories uh, in the kingdom of God that is one day to be revealed to us. We don't understand it now, but one day it will be fully realized when we enter into the other side of eternity. This is the perspective. This is the hope that we can have throughout our present sufferings, which are not worth holding up to the future glory that we will one day experience. Here's a story um, that I want to share with you is that eighth grade, I played football. I loved the game of football. This was when my passion started. And following that season of, it, of eighth grade, I remember the high school coach would always just come, come hang out, almost like a recruiting process. He would hang out and talk to the eighth graders. And he came up to me and he went to shake my hand. And as a middle schooler, I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do with my hand. How do I shake your hand? So I just like limp placed my hand in his, and he very firmly broke my fingers and just waved my hand up and down. And, and here's what he said to me. He said, son, I want you to play high school football. At times, it's going to hurt emotionally. At times, it's going to hurt physically. But I want you to come and play. I believe that it will be worth it for you. Uh, take time to think about that, okay? And I'm like, okay. I don't need much time to think about it. You just told me it was going to hurt emotionally, whatever that means, and you just told me that it's going to hurt physically. Uh, so no, right? But I said that internally. Well, about a week later, my mom gets a call, and she picks up the phone. I'm in my room playing PlayStation, and she yells across the house and says, Son, Coach Lyles is on the phone. And immediately, my heart dropped into my stomach. 
And I started sweating. And I'm like, oh no, I thought I was just going to get away with not having to tell him. And so I get up and I'm weak in the knees. I'm really nervous. I'm starting to sweat. And I finally get to the phone on the wall and I say, hey coach, trying to mask the nervousness, trying to cover it up. And he says, hey Chris, have you had time to think about my offer? And I was like, yes, sir. I just, I just, I don't think that high school football is going to be for me. And he says, great, we'll see you tomorrow. I want you to come get fitted for your pads, lift weights. I had no other choice. So I was like, yes, sir, I'll be there with a false excitement. And so fast forward four years and I'm team captain on our football team. And, and I love the sport. I love where I am at. And I walk out for the first day of practice before my senior year and coach approaches me and he says, hey, you remember that one time I told you that it was gonna hurt emotionally and it was gonna hurt physically? Yeah, coach, I do. I remember that. And he said, when you came in, you were like a deer in headlights. You were scared, you were nervous, and now I'm very proud to say that I'm proud of the football player that you've become, the young man that you are, and the leader that you will one day be. It was all worth it. Well done. And in that moment, I realized that my coach saw something in me that I didn't see in myself. And yeah, the suffering was worth it. The suffering was incomparable to all the games that we, uh, well, some of the games that we would win. It made it worth it. It made the camaraderie and the brotherhood with those around me worth it. And I know that my football story doesn't compare to the sufferings that you may be going through right now. But I believe there is a truth to be pulled from this story. That coach was right. The suffering wasn't for nothing. It made me a better man, and I found joy in it. I learned to love the sport. I learned to love the game. And once I understood that there was hope in my suffering, there was hope in my groaning, I knew that the glory to be experienced compared to the suffering of now was so worth it. And suffering is a refining process. You may not understand it now, but one day you will stand in the presence of God and fully realize why it is that you have walked through what you have walked through. God sees the future glory that we, that as his children, are to one day experience because of the suffering we are living now and to one day receive a well done, my good and faithful servant. That is something we should all be striving for. We, along with all of creation, we groan for a better day. And that is the hope that we have on this journey of going from groaning to glory. Rejoice. When I say rejoice, I don't say that in a happy tone. I say it in a confident tone because rejoicing here doesn't mean that we're happy. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to feel. It's okay to be confused. God can handle it in the midst of your suffering. But what Paul is saying is rejoice because you can stand firm in your suffering because we know that one day the glory to be experienced is incomparable to the sufferings of now. And here's what we can do in the groaning process. We can rejoice through number one, scripture reading. Scripture reading is just reminding ourselves of the love letter that God has written to us, to reminding of ourselves of the eternal glory that awaits us on the other side of eternity. We equip our hearts with the word of God to fight the enemy. Number two is prayer. Prayer allows us to find silence in the suffering. 
Prayer allows us to process with God, to wrestle with God, to say, God, why? What are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? And then take time to listen more than we speak. Number three is discovery. Even though we are in the midst of suffering, we can take time to discover and search God's heart for answers. We may not always get a response, and we may get one, but we search for ways that God is refining our hearts. What is suffering? What is groaning? Groaning is that weird experience and the suffering of now, longing for a better day. Groaning is when we find ourselves on our knees, asking God, why? Why am I walking through the pain? And why does it feel like I'm carrying it alone? Groaning is asking God, if you're a good God, why is suffering even an option? And he can handle it. He can handle our doubts. He can handle our fears. But the beautiful thing is that he's not leaving us there. He's taking us on a journey to glory. Glory puts our suffering into perspective. Glory is finding ourselves one day standing blameless and refined in the presence of God. Glory is finally receiving the full understanding of what we went through when we reached the other side of eternity. God's grace covers us on this journey. And God's grace calls his people into suffering, but never without a purpose. Take hope, church, because there's a glory one day that is to be experienced. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for your pure devotion to us. We thank you for your guidance and your leadership. God, we thank you for your love to us in the midst of suffering. God, I pray that right now, whatever suffering uh, that the viewer, that the watcher right now on Facebook is, is going through, God, I pray that you would intervene and give them confidence, that they would take confidence in the fact that you are present and that you are there. God, we thank you for the eternal glory that we will one day get to experience for those who have chosen to follow you. And God, if there is any who are watching right now who have not made that decision, God, I pray that they would turn their life over to you and follow you for the rest of their days because of the value that you give them and the love that you have for them. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen.